Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 20th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. It's a good week. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good week. We uh, we always good, we? We, yeah, we always enjoy the week that we do good. One, the one week a year we do yeah, good. Yeah, one week. Yeah, yeah. The rest <laughs> of the week we're just giving really bad poker advice, and people are still tuning in. But, but yeah, this yeah. week we yeah. actually give back to the community in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> it does our hearts good. Uh, just it's so cool, and it's amazing how fast that time flies. It's like because I always do the Derby Lane one, and you usually do the Tampa Downs one, and I went up there this time too with you for a little bit, but. Uh, I'm standing there and I'm watching all the people stand in line and holding their their cans and I'm just like, man, it just seemed like yesterday we did this, you know, and it's just time is flying. But I'm sure that for the people who are hungry, you know, it's not uh, it's not flying by for them. So I'm glad and we're doing this. Of course, we're talking about our restock the shelves food bank initiative that we uh, started three years ago with Blue Shark Optics, and um, Monday was the quote unquote air quotes. Official day yeah, <laughs> for this right, year's event, right? Um, but some rooms actually started collecting food in December. Some other ones have still got events coming up. Um, and uh, you know, as, as Chris said, the early reports of our donations are, are simply heartwarming. I mean, last night I was starting to total up. Uh, we still have thirty more rooms, uh, either still to host events or report totals. So I think that's only six that have already reported. And we've already helped feed more than 40,000 people across North America this year. So um, that's really amazing because we've done um, just shy of like 111,000 over the last two years. So we're already almost a halfway of what we've done the last two years with 30 more rooms to report. Yeah. I can't wait till we get this final number. But um, obviously, if you've been listening to the show, you know what we're talking about. But restock the shelves. We encourage uh, our poker venues, uh, poker rooms, casinos. Leagues, uh, clubs, yep. anybody, yep. anybody that plays poker across uh, North America to uh, host an event and encourage their players to uh, bring canned goods or or money to donate. And um, it's always fun for me to see the rooms and what they try to do. I mean, you know, we're always preaching to rooms that just you know put a bin in the room and collect food. That's great. That works. Uh, but some rooms just go um, really, really crazy with this and do good things in terms of giving away raffle prizes for people bringing things in um, or extra tournament chips. Uh, I haven't had a chance to share this with you yet, but uh, our good friends at Pearl, Pearl River up in Mississippi, uh, they actually got on the TV news this year with their event. Oh, cool. Had to explain it, and they had the... Um, um, one of the uh, representatives from, from the, the food bank there just to, to say exactly what we always thought that it's uh, the shelves for the food pantries across the country are really bare in January because everybody's in the mood to give for the holidays and you know they distribute that food so everybody has a good holiday and then 
of January. There's just nothing there. So this is well time for those folks, and it's it really good to watch that uh, that video. And um, and we had a lot of fun uh, here locally. I know you went to Derby, and, and as you said, people were lined up with cans, and that was great. And then in the evening, uh, we were at Tampa Bay Downs, and I really tried to supercharge it this year uh, with a bunch of raffle prizes, and um, really did uh, did well up there. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really cool to see, uh, like, to see you at work doing that too. Like, I know how important it's real near and dear to you, and see all those gifts and all those prizes and stuff, and uh, putting out the little bins for the tickets, and we were breaking up tickets, and my wife was there helping sell, and your wife was there helping sell, and it was just, it was really cool. It's just, it's really nice to be able to get together and do stuff like that for the community. And uh, folks, uh, events are still upcoming at Orangeville Poker and Cool Mule Poker in Canada and the Windy City Poker Championship and Horseshoe Hammond in the Chicagoland area. Um, and these rooms coming up are also collected through donations to the end of the month. That's Harris, Southern California, Pachanga Resort, and Georgetown Poker. Uh, so still time for you to help. Uh, go to antiapmagazine.com slash restock. And you know what? If you don't live somewhere where these events are going... Uh, it's never never a bad thing to go down to your local food bank and just deliver some food or even better write them a check so they can uh, get whatever they need um and if you really don't even want to go down to the food bank you can go to feeding america on the on the web and donate and that money will go to your community so yep yeah uh, uh laura said your wife laura said something interesting to me too she said a lot of the food banks basically go through feeding america anyway to make sure the, the food's distributed and stuff like that I thought that was real interesting yeah, yeah, it's, it's you know, um, actually it's been interesting. A lot of my friends, um, ever since I kind of took up this, have started um, volunteering at food banks and food pantries. So it's interesting to hear their stories and how things work in the background. And um, if you're ever there on a day when it's distribution day, I mean, that that is just heartwarming to watch, you know, people come on and, and get food. Heartwarming and also disappointing, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's like bittersweet. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know... You know, I've always said that this is one of those uh, pay-it-forward charities. You know, you know, if you somebody's hungry and you give them a meal today, then they have the strength to go out and help somebody else tomorrow. So that's why it's uh, always been important to me. So I appreciate that all of our poker rooms uh, have found it important as well too. And certainly, thank you to everybody's come out and contributed and um, helped out. And and thank you to all those who yet are yet to contribute, but are now going to be inspired to do so because. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny, too, is pretty much all of our home game guys showed up to volunteer at uh, yeah. Tampa Bay Downs. They could have had a little home game in the corner while we wanted. <laughs> it was funny. I was telling them, too, that you know I invited all of them, um, thinking, uh, knowing some wouldn't be able to come or couldn't. And then even probably half of those that said they could come would probably not make it for whatever reason. You know, life just gets in the way, right? Right. And every single person that told me they were going to show up showed up, and I wasn't prepared to have that many people i didn't need that many people and so then i felt bad i'm like hey you came all this way to, to help and, and i don't have a place for you but i didn't want to not have enough people there so it's it's, always, it's a good problem to have i guess is what they call yeah it, right? yeah well good friends and a good time so well speaking of home game uh as we alluded to last week uh, i had a home game at gambit's house i had to go to uh, his game and it, it was very different uh than usual um well one you weren't there Mm-hmm. Um, so that that changes the game already, anyway, because we all have yeah, fun. It's harder for people to win money. Yeah, we all have fun too. So, <laughs> but no, but really, uh, we had two new players that I guess Mark knew from like his tailgating time over at USF or yep. uh, or whatever. So, um, the dynamics really change when you have people who don't normally play in your game. Um, like you could tell, one of them was a little nervous and really preferred no limit hold'em. That was his game. 
Um, the other one was a little more savvy, played all the games, um, and was good. Uh, but um, usually when the, the game gets over toward the end of the night, and we're at your house or my house or, or whatever, even Mark's house, we'll, we'll look back and say, hey, wow, we played six hours and no one called Crappy Nolan and Hold'em. <laughs> right? Because that's the game that we all pretty much started with, or most of the people in our game started with, so we used to always call it a lot. And then we always remark about how far our poker chops have come that we don't have to call that game anymore and still have a great time, and, and we don't choose to call it. Um, but on this night, it was the first game called, it was called again for another additional round after that, so basically consecutive rounds of No Limit Hold'em. And it was called at least six times during the wow. night. Not only that, but we played five-card stud No Limit, <laughs> double flop No Limit, crazy pineapple No Limit, PLO, PLO 8, Omaha 8, and a uh, just a ton of, 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 of that, and no... No limit hold'em. Limit hold'em was never called once, Scott. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. And that's always the first game we call. Yeah. Right. Um, and we never played regular stud. Never played raz. Not one draw game. So no doogie, no triple draw, no regular missionary five card. Nothing. <laughs> um. Uh, the other thing is that we played eight handed, which you know, I when we play a home game, I hate eight-handed. I, I don't mind it, like, when you're playing no and hold them and you're getting a ton of hands in, it's a full ring game, and then you're professional dealers and all that. The speed of the game is just is much better. But when you're in a home game where you're playing, it's social, and you're playing games that, you know, require extra, well, not in this case, we didn't have draws, but, I mean, just different things than just straight two cards being dealt. You know, the other games are four cards, seven cards. Um, it takes a long time. And we started playing at 7.15, and as we approached midnight, I realized at that point I had only gotten to call a game twice. That's five hours. And then Mark and I were talking at the, the restock event, and he's like, I think you got the chance to call a third game. And I'm like, Mark, I didn't. And so when it went that slow around uh, and they hadn't called the game I liked, I'm like, well, if I'm not going to get to call two games tonight, maybe three, I'm going to call the game I want to play. You know, a lot of times I'll acquiesce and be like, all right, I'm not going to call stud eight for a second time. I'll call, and I'll maybe, you know, Badoogie or triple draw or even limit hold them or something. But, you know, because I want to try to get all the games in and just try to give other people a chance to play games that they like, you know, I don't want to just call them stud eight. But when it looks like I'm going to call once, twice, or even three times over six and seven hours, I'm going to call my game every time. So that's what it ended up being. Everyone realized they weren't going to get to call their game uh, that many times, or that their game wasn't going to get called that many times, so they all called their favorite game, which is why we played PLO like a barf amount of times. I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. Um, but we had a real good time. I had a lot of fun. Um, and so, uh, it's the end of the night, and we're playing No Limit Watermelon. Well, this really funny thing happened, I have, I have to say, and then we'll we'll move on. But um, So, there's a game called Watermelon. We talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, I think, and we decided to call it for the first time. And it'll actually be our hand of the week later, so which is kind of cool. More to that. Yeah. Uh, so um, in this game, cards are you get dealt four cards like Omaha, but you're playing basically hold them, and you're dealt four cards. After the flop, you throw one away. And there's betting and everything. And after the turn, you throw one away. So it's pretty much new to all of us, and we had to keep reminding ourselves not to deal until the cards were discarded. Like even in pineapple or crazy pineapple, we we tend to forget that. Um, 
But when this one, you have to do it twice. So a couple of times already it happened where we're getting to the turn and the dealer was getting ready to, and we're like, no, 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 wait, we got a discard. <laughs> so there's this one hand on the turn, Gambit deals it deuce of clubs, but not all the players had discarded yet. So he looks at me and I'm like, uh, I think you gotta you gotta put it back in the deck and we gotta reshuffle and leave the burn cards out and and he's like yeah and everyone's like yeah and then I think someone may have said why but I'm not sure but I know I had said to him you gotta give that chance that card a chance to come out again and then sure enough he burns the two the card or whatever he uh, bam two of clubs comes out oh wow so he came out got shoveled back in the deck and came out again. Freaking yeah, everybody freaked out. That's the way out. it should be working. Yeah, yeah, totally freaked out. Because you're always thinking, it's never going to come out again. And it did. It was really freaky. Um, but it was a good time. We had a little good time. And um, just the dynamic was just so weird to not have those other games called. And No Limit Hold'em, it was like a No Limit Hold'em home game, it felt like, for a little while. And then people were throwing in all these other No Limit games. You know, I mean, No Limit Crazy Pineapple is, is it's just crazy. I mean, it's like they should call it double crazy pineapple or something. Uh, and double flop, you know, double flop, two flop. Somebody gets the nuts on one board, they're going to shove on you. And, you know, oh, man, it's just, it's it's pretty crazy. So, anyway, we had a real good time and uh, missed you at the home game, buddy. So, can't wait for your yeah. can't wait for your, uh, your campaign to end so you can start playing with us. <laughs> I can get back to my uh, day job of poker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, any updates? Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi will host two Annie Up Poker Tour series this year. The first uh, is the Pearl River po- uh, Spring Poker Classic, which runs March 24th to April 2nd, with the winner of the main event appearing on the May cover of Annie Up Magazine. Also, Maristar Vicksburg in Mississippi will be awarding Annie Up Poker Cruise packages to its Tournament of Champions winners and Hot Seats Drawings uh, winners in January. Visit AnnieUpCruises.com for all the details. And remember that we have six wonderful Annie Up Poker Cruises on the schedule right now, uh, including a 14-night transatlantic to Barcelona, a weekend warrior cruise, a summer cruise, and many more. Get all details, including how you can win your way on board at AnnieUpCruises.com. All passengers will get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by ThePokerDepot.com and a quick reference poker odds card from TheGamblingSchool.com. Find yourself in a situation in your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at anyupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled, and it came from our home game. <laughs> we had two from the... This is like the, it's like the Annie Up Home Game Special Edition uh, of the show. <laughs> this is what happens when I'm not at the home game. All this stuff happens and no one can explain it. One of the things actually happened in the game, the other one uh, Dr. Frank brought up, had a question about it, um, so we'll just do them both, and we'll read it, and then you'll you'll say what Elliot had to say. Uh, all right, so uh, we had that home game, and these two issues were dealing issues uh, regarding exposed cards. So in flop cash games, if a card is dealt to a player, say in Omaha 8, and it's the third card, thus not making it a misdeal, and the dealer makes a bad pitch exposing the card, does the player have the option to keep that card? We often see, especially in tournament rules, that the dealer will use that as the burn and replace the card at the end of the deal. But if it's a cash game, can the player choose to keep it regardless if everyone saw it? This sparked a lively discussion. The other question comes in stud. There are five players going to the river. The first three have received their last card down, and they have already peeked at them and tucked them into their other two down cards. At this moment, the fourth player's final down card is exposed by a bad pitch. 
What happens now? The first three players are at an advantage because if we make them flip the last card up, there is no way for everyone at the table to know if those three players aren't angle shooting and choosing the most strategic card to show. And if we make the fourth player just keep his card, he's at a disadvantage because everyone knows his river. Does he have the option to ask for another card? Hmm. All right. Let's see what I said. Uh, he says, uh, you certainly came to the right place with a seven-card stud situation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one, in flop games, the first exposed card gets replaced uh, by the card that would be the first burn card. The player never has an option to keep the exposed card. The purpose is to reduce the amount of information given to the other players at the table. If the player were able to keep a card, the range of possibilities of the other unexposed card card to cards would be rather narrow and make this player fairly easy to play against. Some home games, especially those that are high-low, use a modified version of the exposed card rule from low-ball draw. The rule from low-ball is that prior to the draw, any exposed card must be kept if it can help form a perfect uh, slash nut low hand, and any other card must be replaced by the burn card. Again, there is no choice in the matter. I've generally advocated this hybrid rule for friendly home games. In any case, when the option to choose is removed, the disadvantage to the player whose card was exposed is reduced by the maximum amount. And number two, the last card in stud is where most of the rulings are made. If a player's river card is exposed after other players have received the cards down, this player has the option of not having to participate not having to participate in the last betting round. He would essentially be all in, the other players would bet the river as a side pot. The player with the exposed card has the option to participate in the betting, and in that case, play would resume as normal. The first player dealt to had his last card exposed, and no other players received their cards. All the river cards would be dealt face up. You correctly alluded to this in your question. Dealing a replacement card is never the solution in stud games and casinos. In home games, this becomes a mess if the all-in option isn't used. And as soon as he had said that, I remembered that. I couldn't remember that for the life of me when we were playing. Yeah, I'll say that probably wouldn't <clears throat> have came to my memory in the in the heat of the moment, but but you're right. I have heard that before. Yeah, the all-in. And I think I've actually seen it. Yeah, I've seen it in action, too, the all-in. But I, I do have issue with the flop game ruling. To me, it's a cash game. And when he well, says... Let me ask you this. So, right, okay, go, okay, go ahead. What's go ahead. the difference in your mind between a cash game and a tournament in this, this question? Well, I was thinking that as I was reading this. It's funny, and, and I was thinking that someone would ask me this and I really wouldn't have a good answer for it. <laughs> I actually was thinking that. But, uh, hey, I've got a candidate for him tonight. <clears throat> Believe me, I've been thinking about that all day. Well, it's it's sort of like, um, you know, like when you're playing in a tournament and we're saying, well, this all is different in a tournament because there's a clock and it's official and you can't, can't rebuy and, and there's all these different rules you can show cards in a cash game but you can't show cards in a tournament why is that well because cash games are different you're it's a different animal you're you're sort of competing for money on the spot and it, it's just a different animal to me than it is for tournament play but also because there were tda rules for this specific thing but there weren't rules and Robert's rules for cash games about it. We looked it up. We were trying to find it, and I couldn't find anything while we were playing. So I was thinking that in a cash game, you know, it, it's it's different. You, you're, you're choosing to play for cash at that moment. The blinds never change. It's like a it's like a isolated, in a vacuum kind of moment there where like, and the other thing too was when we were talking about, he even mentions it, where if you get a perfect wheel card in like a deuce of seven game they make you keep it 
And and what if you look at your cards as they were coming and you already have a seven, and then they deal you a seven? They're like, well, you have to keep it. Well, you're hurting me. Well, that's the same way if you have to give the card back. What if? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like, why do they make you have to do anything? Well, okay, but but I don't think there's any. There, there's no more disadvantage to having to keep a card as than there is having to get rid of it. Right. I, I just think that in a cash game, and and you're right. There is. I really don't know the difference between cash game and tournaments when it comes to this situation. <laughs> you meant, the, you meant but, to imply there is, though. But I do, and I do I do imply there's something different. There's just something different in a cash game because there are different rules for cash games. It's like, I'm allowed to show my card. This is what it was. That, that's what it was. You're allowed to show your cards in a cash game in a lot of houses, but you're never allowed to do it in tournaments. So if you're not allowed to show it in tournaments, why is that? Because you don't want to give away too much information, blah, blah, blah. Whatever their reasoning is, but there's not a reason for cash games. So in cash games, if I'm allowed to show cards, and I should be allowed to say, hey, this card was exposed, I should keep it, because I'm allowed to show cards at any time. So why is it that I don't get the choice to keep that card, but yet yeah, I, I also don't get to... show cards at any time. I mean, there's still... Well, I mean, when you're heads up with somebody. People. Yeah, but you know what I mean? the situation. You're not heads up right now. You... But they all got to see the card. Now, I'm, I'm choosing to be at a disadvantage. That's my prerogative. Well, I'm going to say, if I'm going to agree with you, and I'm not saying I am... Uh-huh. The, the one problem is is that you have to be sure that every player has saw the card. Well, yeah, okay, so you so say... So it's almost it. like the same thing where the dealer puts the, the card on top of the deck and says, the Queen of Spades is your burn card, and fans it to everyone to make sure. I think that would still have to be the case. I mean, I don't think there could be any question about anybody not seeing the card. If you're going to play that card that's been exposed, everybody needs to clearly know what it is, whether they were paying attention to the deal or not. Okay, so that's an interesting so that's thing. probably an argument not to do it because that seems procedurally a little more difficult. You, I think we've had this conversation before about something else where I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a call to floor or a listener spotlight, but you had said something earlier where somebody had seen the card and a couple people did, and one guy didn't, and you were saying how that person should have been paying attention, and if he didn't see that card, well then someone else was paying attention and they got to see that card. And I was like, well, shouldn't we tell everyone what he... Then you're like, no, the guy wasn't paying attention. He didn't get to see it. So I don't think everyone should get to see the card if you're choosing to play it. If only a couple people saw it, then, hey, they only saw it because they were paying attention. There's no difference between this one and the last time we talked about this because the guy wasn't paying attention and didn't see it. Now, because I want to keep the card. I don't know what it is right now. See, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) The same thing with me. I'm thinking that if I choose to keep it and choose to have a disadvantage against me, that's my prerogative. It's a cash game. I, I can do whatever I want in a cash game. I argue, reason. Here's how I could argue for you, I would say. Okay, yeah, argue for me. I like it when you're on my side. Uh, well, again, I'm not on your side, yeah, but, but I'm arguing good. for you, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, classic debate prep here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue in a cash game, you're only playing against those players at that table. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and those players could fold with really no consequence in a cash game. I mean, really, anytime you fold your hand in cash, really all you're giving up is the opportunity to win more cash, but you're also giving up the opportunity to lose more cash, right? Right. And a tournament, because there is a clock and a, a finite amount of time, um, when you fold has additional implications for you than just winning or losing chips, right? Right. In addition, unless it's a single-table tournament, if we're talking a multi-table tournament, there are other players that could be affected by that decision that aren't there. And really, the only fair way 
to do that is to survey everyone, and we're not going to stop a tournament to explain right. the situation to 12 tables and take a, a voice vote and figure it out. So that would be the argument if I had to make the argument for what you're saying and, and what makes a tournament different than a cash game in this particular situation. See? See, you're on my side. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though, and that's the other thing I meant was, like, it's a, it, you're in a vacuum in a cash game because you're at that one table and that's it, and the same thing with a tournament. Everyone is in that vacuum in a tournament. They're all playing at the same time constraints. They're all playing with the same amount of chips. No more chips are coming into that once the rebuy is over and all that bullcrap. But, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a finite situation, so things that you do affect other people. But if you're at that one table, we're all there. And it's it just seems to me like in a cash game, you should have the choice. They they show it all the time where people expose cards all the time in cash games to try to get reactions. And there's these different rules in a cash game. Different It's a different environment. And if I want to be able to punish myself, maybe I'm sadistic and I want to try to still win a hand with a card exposed, you know, like a guy who gets dealt a king up in Raz and insists on trying to win the hand, you know, that's my decision. They're my cards. That's my card. One other thing I would throw in, though, is from an angle shooting perspective in a home game, I think players are more protected by having a firm rule that you have to discard that card or in the situation of the low ball situations as Ellie mentioned you, have, you to have to keep it um, and again I hope none of us are playing in dirty games but um, it's much easier for an angle shooter to affect the game if they know that you have the option of playing that card versus the card has to be discarded in other words if I'm stacking the deck for some reason and I and, you can, and you're the fish in the game, right? And I, you know, ex- accidentally, air quotes, expose an ace to you, and you get all excited and want to keep it, even though somebody else has the other two aces. <laughs> right. Then, then you're at a disadvantage for that. Well, if you have to get rid of it, then it's much harder to control the game. I think when that card disappears. Not that true. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess it's just. And I'm not sure we need to sit around and figure out things to prevent angle shooting. Although that's half the reason we have rules. But um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, just from a procedural standpoint, it just seems easier to have a firm rule where, hey, sorry, cards exposed, you lose it. Here's a new one. Or in a scenario where your hand is presumably hurt tremendously, like in low ball, by getting rid of it, then you have to. You know, you're right. And if you have the rule in place and you know it going in, because a lot of times home games you don't have rules. You're just playing, and then you right. you say, "Oh, what happens now?" And then you look up the rule. But um, and you're right. I mean, I I don't know what the angle shoot could be for that rule not being in place and people choosing to keep or not to keep. It just feels like it's my card and it's my decision. You know, in a cash game, in a tournament, like I said, it's that whole everyone is being affected by this, and we have to have rules in place so it doesn't slow the game down, blah, blah, blah. But it just felt weird because the other fact that you have a rule in place that makes people keep a card when it's exposed in another game is just bizarre to me. And it, I don't understand the reasoning behind that one. I understand it's well, a Well, I think card, it's but... there because there's only a finite amount of cards that can help your hand there. In a high only game, any card has the possibility of helping. You know, let's say I'm Hold'em and the exposed card's a deuce. I could have another deuce in my hand and have a better hand. Right, right. Or at the end of the uh, end of all the hand, I could turn over Jack High and win because somebody else doesn't have even a pair. Right, right. 
where in the low ball games you have to have those low cards um, in order to make your hand. So if you have one and it's exposed, then it, for no reason of your own, then that um, infinitely hurts your ability to have a, a qualifying hand. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. I'm going to guess that's where it came Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Anyway, so it was real interesting that we, we hardly ever have anything like in the home game where we have to call the floor. We had two things. So yeah. Um, so it was fun to actually provide one. It was cool to have him answer me. This is what and, happens. Uh, uh, no fun when I'm not there. I know. Uh, no variety in games when I'm not there. <laughs> and mass chaos and rulings that can't be figured out. <laughs> That's it. We can't have a home game unless you're on the schedule from now on. If you can't make it. It's apparently a watermelon hand that I need to help you with. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun. So, <laughs> But before that, we have a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a 50-person, $100 buy-in tournament. It's late in the night, and we're down to the final nine. With the top eight being paid, we've hit the bubble. However, the real money doesn't start until the top four. We have an above-average stack of 17 big blinds. The riffraff is mostly out. Only the strong have survived. There are no antis, the blinds post, the under-the-gun calls. It's folded to us in the MP with the tray of hearts, tray of clubs. There are three players to act behind us, plus the blinds. We might be able to get one or two more to come along if we just limp, giving us odds to set mine. So we limp. It's folded around to the small blind, who calls. The big blind checks, and we're going to a flop. With four big blinds in the pot, it comes down the king of spades, Tray of spades, deuce of clubs. Bingo, bango, bongo, as Sexton might say. It gets checked around to us, and with two spades and a straight draw on board, plus both blinds hanging around, we're going to make a bet into this pot of three big blinds, leaving us 13 behind. The small blind folds, but the big blind surprises us by shoving in his 11 big blinds. Before we can even process what happened, the the under-the-gun also shoves for his remaining 20 big blinds. So if we call and lose to the the under-the-gun, we're out. If we call and lose to the big blind, we escape with, essentially, bus fare. If we call and win the entire pot, we're an enormous chip leader. What's the move? All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And, and if you're thinking, hey, they've never announced a Hand of the Week that way, you are correct. <laughs> you're are working with our good friends Advanced Poker Training uh, and a lot of cross-promotional things. And uh, we're starting with this. So if you haven't tried out Advanced Poker Training, go check it out. Uh, they're really growing quite a bit. It's, you know, it's interesting talking to um, uh, the owner. He's another Florida company that started in poker here. I love that. And, uh, and how we've kind of all grown in the same way by attacking holes in the market. And um, they've been doing a really good job of uh, growing. And, of course, they get a world champion to their credit now, right? That's correct. And since I haven't supplied a hand of the week in the last calendar year, I'm going to be a free member. <laughs> All right, so hold on. I'm going to go run to Office Depot because i got to buy some paper and a pen because I never have to do this. I know. So, okay, I'm back. I get to reverse the roles in our Annie Up themed, uh, Annie Up home game special edition Annie Up Pokercast today. Uh, I said earlier it's going to be a no limit watermelon. 
All right, now you got to pause and explain watermelon to everyone before we get too so, far into this. So, um, basically, watermelon is you're dealt four cards, and you're it's a flop game. You're playing basically no limit hold'em in this in this version. Um, so you get four cards. There's a round of betting. A flop comes. There's a round of betting, and you discard. Now the Start turn after the round of betting on the flop. Yeah, so there's a round of betting. There's a flop. There's a round of betting. Now you discard before the turn. So the betting is complete, and then you discard. Gotcha. So now I have three cards. So now you have three cards. The turn comes. There's a round of betting, and you discard again, leaving you two cards for Hold'em. All right. So at that point, when the river comes, you're playing No Limit Hold'em like you normally play No Limit Hold'em, and you just have your two cards. And the nuances of this game are really crazy because... You know, you could flop, say, a flush draw or something, but then you also have a pair or something, and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to lose. So you throw away one card, keep your pair, and then the flush draw doesn't get there on the turn. Now do you keep your pair? or do you know? So there's a lot of... This This is crazier than Crazy Pineapple. I mean, they should call yeah, it, so it Crazy Watermelon. so it actually watermelon. kind of um, uh, delays the inevitable, right? Cause, yes. Because uh, Pineapple, you got to make that choice on the flop but now you've got the option oh hey I got this orphan card that doesn't mean anything get rid of that and then, then I'll just have to figure out on the next round whether I need to do it and then oh card didn't help me so now i got to make the decision yes alright see how that could be infinitely more frustrating than pineapple especially when you know the two cards on each part of like if you have four cards two work together and two work together and then they kind of commingle, and then that flop comes in where you get a piece of everything. Which 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 draw do you give up, or which made hand do you give up? Or it's really really. And I would just, argue the strategy is probably based on how everybody else is playing. So yes, yes. You, how strong you are right now, or how strong you can be. Yes. Just a big problem with pineapple, right? You got you know sometimes you you know you would think you would hold on to the pair of aces, but if it's bet raise 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 raise, now. You go for the nut draw. Ahead, yeah. So now yeah. I got to go for a hand that can improve where my aces can't. So. Yeah, the biggest hand I ever won in uh, Crazy Pineapple, it was a limit game at the time at your house, but it just got like capped all the way. And I'm like, you know what? My aces aren't good, but I have the ace king of clubs, so I'm going to go for the flush. And I stuck around the whole way as it got capped, and I got there because I knew it was a huge pot, and that was the only hand that could win that huge pot. And when it was over, they were all mad at me. They're like, well, you stuck around with that? And I'm like, look at the size of this pot. You know what I mean? And so it changed. Normally, I would just play the aces, you know, because it came like ace of hearts, three of clubs, seven of clubs, and I had ace, ace, king with the ace, king of clubs. And I'm like, do I want the set or or something like that? It was like ace something, ace, queen, king or something. So I had the aces with a king kicker or whatever, but I went for the nut flush, and it got there. So that's the dilemma you're facing at all times in this game. (laughs) All right. All right. So uh, when we play our game, we play quarter 50 cent when we do no limit. Um and it's late uh, in the dealer's choice session, and you are the hero. You're even for the night, and you bought in for a hundred. Okay. And so anyway, I got um, my starting stack a hundred, and it's late at night. So. Yeah, and I would say Skittles, but I already said quarter fifty cent. Uh, <laughs> Boy, so that that roost is up right there. We we can't uh, we can't go any further with I, that. I think aside. cent is a um, flavor of Skittles, right? <laughs> Um, so the entire better tasting than the grape. <laughs> we we were up a little bit the entire night, but then we lost a frustrating hand in stud eight just before this game was called. So we're a little on edge. Gotcha. All right. So we we were back to even. We had to like grind our way to be almost even. Um, 
It's now six-handed after the two new players of the game had gone home. We are under the gun with queen of clubs, jack of clubs, four of spades, six of spades. Now, I want to remind everyone, this is not high-low. Right. It's just high. What do you do? Uh, well, here's kind of the problem with pineapple and watermelon, I would say, is that it encourages you to play more hands than you should. Right. Where really it should encourage you to play fewer hands because everybody else is going to be playing hands. So I would look at this hand and say, wow, look at the possibilities. We've got uh, suited connectors for Royal Flush or Broadway. we got a one-gapper for another flush um, um, or a super wheel. They call it six high, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities here, but we are under the gun, um, so we're going to be out of position. Um, this is a hand I'd probably want to play um, in position or in the blinds where I could see, know I could see it cheaply. So my fear here is if I come into this pot, it's going to get raised or re-raised, and I don't know if this is a hand I want to do that with necessarily. Um, but it has a lot of potential. So, um, But I'm going to guess since it's hand of the week we were playing this. And it's six-handed. And it's six-handed. And so nobody's ever played this game before. Got to be a little bit more, got to loosen up a little bit. So, all right, it's hand of the week. Let's go ahead and play. And if we're going to play, we, we got to raise. Okay, so what do you raise to? Uh, let's see, what color Skittles are we playing with? Uh, uh, so the grapes for 50 cents. Right. <laughs> uh, no, let's see. So this is no limit. Uh, I don't know, two bucks? Raise two bucks. Okay, so I will interject uh, whatever here. Whatever the standard raise is, I guess, but I'm going to guess it was somewhere between two and three, right? Yeah, well, we, this is very early in the game. It's like maybe the second hand of it, so we haven't really established who plays what in this game. No one really knows how to play it yet. Um, I will interject here and say that generally the people behind me were limpers um, and we really didn't know the game yet, so people were being cautious. So you were thinking that uh, our, our, whoever, is this you or is this our hero? Who, who, I'm the hero. I? I'm the hero. It's my hand. All right. So you, you were thinking, hey, I, there's a possibility I can see this flop pretty cheaply. Yeah. Not, or at least not risk getting re-raised. Right. Uh, folks are probably going to be more inclined to call or fold behind. And the people behind me generally play a lot of hands, and so I was thinking that I would get the odds to, to be able to play this in, even though I'd be out okay. of position. But we're six-handed, so the you know the value of your hand goes up when it's not eight or ten-handed. So. so I guess the only caveat here is if we're playing this hand, we have to know what we're trying to get and not get excited to buy two pair or something like that. Right. right. We, we were playing this for straight potential. Well, we're, I think yeah, I think we're playing it for let's just see what what the hell we flop because we know it's going to be Hold'em at the end. This isn't Omaha, exactly. So we know it's going to be narrowed to two cards. We know that somebody raising or whatever getting crazy pre-flop, you know, they're going to have a real good hand to, to they think to start, but by the end their hand could shrivel up. So it's not necessarily Omaha. So right, and, you know and what I mean? think what's easier about this is 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 we've got an easy choice on what card to I think at least um, an easy choice on what card to discard. After the flop, hmm. My Padawan is uh, failing miserably at this game. <laughs> All right, so I limp for fifty right. cents. You limp, All right? So weak. And it limps around to the small blind. Hmm. Okay. Now the small blind player uh, is a big PLO fan. 
Okay, I have no idea who this is. And this PLO fan <laughs> likes to, whenever he plays PLO, he likes to raise PLO. Uh, and he likes to see bet PLO. Mm-hmm. And so when it gets to him, he raises to two. Okay. The big blindfolds, what do you do? Uh, when we had, and how many limpers were So it lim- everyone limps. So there was three, one, two, okay, three so limpers. Still in except for the big blind. Except for the big blind, yeah. So, so three limpers. Five, yeah. So basically you're looking at one, two, four dollars in the pot now because there was two dollars between my limp and the other and the blind so about it was about 450 in the pot now because the big blind folded well again we were playing this hand for big pot potential right right uh, hoping to stack someone so i i don't think uh, and I, I was going to raise to two to begin with so i had no problem with making this call also knowing that probably no one behind us is going to raise this again and now we've got a pretty big pot and um now i'm hoping to uh, hit this pretty big okay all right, so you're calling. We call, as does everyone else in the hand. Okay. Um, exactly what I thought would happen. Yeah, and most of the people at the table have about 80 to 120 or so in their stack. So we're pretty much even. And it's five-way action to the flop, which is the ten of clubs, the four of clubs, and the six of hearts. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. So the small blind who has a penchant for calling PLO and betting it, bets $8. Eight. All right. What do you do? All right. I'm going to say, well, now, I mean, part of what you have to decide here is you have to decide how you're going to discard, even though it's not time to do that. <coughs> so you've got to make a decision on how you're going to play this hand or what hand you have before you make a decision how much money you're going to put in the spot. I right. Think. Right. So I think you've got obviously two ways to go. You've got uh, two baby pair here, um, or you've got a non-nut flush draw that could turn it into a nut flush draw. Yeah. What the turn is. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons that you're supposed to tighten up in pineapple or Omaha or watermelon now because you've got so many cards is that your winning hand, the average winning hand, goes up higher, right? Correct. So I do not feel confident at all with my bottom two pair. Um, even if it ends up boating up, I would fear that somebody else could uh, outvote me at that point. So I am not, not going to commit, uh, East, certainly $8 now, which is going to be more, um, on two baby pairs. So if I'm going to stay in this hand now, um, I'm going to be playing for the flush. And now the danger with that is, is I'm not playing for I'm playing for a non-nut flush. So, um, or I'm going to have to get lucky and I have to get a nine of clubs or king of clubs and have a really big draw on the turn, um, which is probably going to deplete my skittle supply for the rest of the week. Um, so all those reasons, I am thinking this is why this is a tough hand. Uh, hey, thank you. <laughs> and um, now the other part is, is that obviously uh, I'm not in this game, but I have a feeling I know this player. He probably won some prizes at a restock event. <laughs> um, and you are correct. He uh, he's very aggressive in PLO type games and like this. So it's possible. Um, that he's just putting pressure on here without having a big hand. 
Yeah. That, the other of, problem is, though, is that we've got four people to act behind us still. Yeah, three. Well, we have three, and then because it's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, three, three behind us, so yeah, three. And with everybody with four cards, the chances of flopping a set go up um, quite a bit as well. So it's possible that, or, or really any combination, somebody else could have a ten four, ten six, or any kind of other two pair combination here, and feel frisky, particularly with the uh, how wet the board is. Um, so I cannot feel confident at all that I'm going to only put $8 in on this round. Uh, I'm not confident necessarily. I'm going to throw away my maid hand, I've decided, and go for the flush if I stay in. And the flush isn't that good. So um, all signs point to folding for me. So I'm sorry. I'm out. All right. So you're out. Okay. Um, Get well, your money from Mark Cuban. I'm out. <laughs> and for that reason, I'm out. Well, we raised to twenty-eight dollars. Of course, we do. Why wouldn't we? Raised to twenty-eight. <clears throat> we raised to twenty-eight. It folds it's to a the statement b- bet. Yeah, it folds to the button. Who has yeah. been drinking all night? Uh, and drinking, I mean alcohol, not liquid. I thought you said I wasn't there. Yeah, you weren't there. Um, and everyone at the table has been remarking how he plays well early, but as the night wears on and the drinks add up, he tends to play poorly. All right. Uh, he thinks for a minute, a good minute. And calls, uh, and I'll pause here to uh, to say that um, he had sold some chips during the night and had two twenty dollar bills behind his stack, um, and he had a stack of about sixty. So he's got about a hundred, but he has two twenty dollar bills behind his stack. The small blind thinks for a bit and folds. Mm. So now we're heads up. The pot is let's see. So there's a fifty six plus the original four. 50 and then the eight so you're looking at 12 and 56 so you're at about 70 dollars now for the pot now the pot is 70 you've got one caller in position on you which card do you pitch and you're in the hand discard all right so the dynamics of this hand have changed now we uh, we have taken charge of it we've gotten a caller that we probably didn't expect to get and we lost the aggressor yep. that we thought we were up against um so now I think I'm going to have to shift and focus on my two pair. And really, honestly, I, I think I'm going to have to improve unless uh, I can't see this other player, although obviously um, speaking of somebody that enjoys the adult beverages from time to time, maybe he's impaired a little bit and um, decided to make a loose call on a draw here. Um, oh, boy. Think about this now. Dynamics have changed, but I don't know if the decision has changed. Is he on a draw like we are? Or does he have a made hand? If he has a made hand, he's got us beaten. Because we've got the worst made hand. Wow, and there's no going back. This is why the game's fun, right? (laughs) That's right. This is why it's hand of the week. Oh, boy, all right, so now i got to think ahead before I can fall, because now I'm going to be first act on the turn, right? Yes. I'm going to need to decide whether I'm going to want to slow down, regardless of whether I improve my hand or not, or whether I want to keep the pressure up. That's the other way to win this hand. If he was not confident about his hand or was on a draw, uh, we could win another turn by keeping the pressure up. But that's going to be a bet. That's going to be about our stack. 
How do I do that? All right, so I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to slow down on the turn. Slow down the turn, and I keep my baby two pair. That gives him a lot more opportunity to catch up to me. Yeah, I guess I'm going to go back to what I said before. I think my best chance of winning this hand is to draw. Okay, so... So I'm going to have to throw away the four. Okay, so Scott throws away the four. Wow, this is not fun. <laughs> All right, so we pitch the Jack of Clubs. Okay, so you're, you're going with the balls to the wall with your uh, baby two pair. And here's why. If he had a set, he would have re-raised my bet. Uh, especially if he had a top set. This is not a board to slow play a set. If he's no, drawing to a flush, not a game either. right? If he's drawing to a flush for that amount of money, it's likely the nut flush draw. So our queen high flush draw is no good. So we decide to go with the two pair. Now, after I discard, our opponent thinks long and hard before pitching his card. Mm. So what's to think about? If he had me beat, there's nothing to think about. So it made me think he had a pair and a draw. Yeah, so at this point, I, I think I'm good. We'll see. The turn is the king of hearts. We have about 45 in our stack or so, maybe a little more. And the pot is about, like I said, 70, 75. Well, you surely want that jack back now, don't you? Mm, no. <laughs> I would. I know, I know. Now I'm a Broadway, and Broadway, I'm not worried about the flush being yeah, here. Yeah. All right, so what do you do? Well, I would go back in the muck and get my jack back. <laughs> that was a stupid card to throw away. Uh, now I think we're in trouble here because now there's so many big cards out there. I mean, going back to what your analysis on the flop was, I think there's there's always a potential that he had a 10-4-10-6. This is the problem with Omaha, right? You have a, you can't imagine anybody has a 10-4 or 10-6 in their hand, but it could be part of the other cards that they have. Mm-hmm. And particularly if a 10-6 or 10-4 also works with that flush draw, um, which I guess that'd be kind of difficult to do. But um, then you just have to worry about what's going to happen here. So a king is a, hand, a card that a lot of people would have in this game. Um, yeah, we're, we're tough. Um, no, I, I'm not... Uh, I, well, I went to fold before, so I'm not going to put more money in this. I'm going to slow down here and, and hope I get a free card to vote up. Uh, okay. Um, so we bet $25. So much more fun knowing the outcome of the hands of the week. <laughs> we bet $25. Oh, wow. Uh, our, I hope there's a switch of to that in this hand because I can't believe you're playing this hand like this. But And you're probably going to win. <laughs> all right. Our opponent thinks again for a minute and says, well, I guess that's all on my chips and calls. He forgets about the bills that are behind. So he's still got forty behind. Right? right. We obviously now, now that now that he's called, what do you do? You obviously pitch. Well, no, I got to get rid of the queen. Rid of the queen, right? So we yeah. obviously pitch the queen of clubs. It's not going to help us anymore. Right. So he looks at his cards for a while, as if he still has a difficult decision, and finally pitches his final card. The river is the ten of diamonds, making the board ten of clubs, four of clubs. Six of hearts, king of hearts, ten of diamonds. Ah, this is easy for me now. Um, obviously, he was pained, so obviously he could have either had a, a some kind of pair combination or a ten. 
and or on a draw, and that that's the decision that you have to make, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't know which decision he made. So if he if he had a ten or some other pair combination that gives him a boat now, and he gave up on the draw, he now has his beat. If it was the opposite, where he threw away his made hand and hoped the draw, the draw missed, I believe, obviously, and now we won. Um, so to me, there, there, this is a 50-50 thing. I'd rather just check, and if he's got it, he's probably going to bet. Um, and then we can decide what we want to do. If he doesn't have it, he's going to check behind, and then we're going to win this pot. Um, I, I just don't I, – I can't put more money in here, I don't think, right now. Okay, so our two-pair get counterfeited, like you said, leaves us with tens and sixes. Now I remember that he thinks he bet all of his chips, and I know if he has anything he can't he can't fold. So I check, and I do it in a way where I kind of like just tap my finger, like sort of acquiescing that, yeah, the hands up, the betting's over, even though it's really not over. If he wakes up, you know, and sees the twenties and realizes he can bet if he has a hand, so um, he uh, he decides that the hand is over, and he does the same thing. He just turns over, ready, drum roll, mm-hmm. three five. Three five, so he was going for the straight. Yep, and it was the biggest pot of the night by far, uh, and I basically won with a six in my hand. Yes, pair of sixes. The best part was he threw away a ten on the last pitch. Of course he did. So he had ten three five, and new tens weren't going to be good. By the way, I was betting it. Right. And he let it go, and well, then the ten came on the river. Do we know what his fourth card was? The first card he pitched. Uh, I don't think we do, um, but I think I think at this point it didn't matter. I think it, he. He wasn't going flush because he had the ten in his hand and the right. three five, so, which weren't close. Well, yeah, and that makes sense why he called your twenty eight then because he had a couple ways of winning. He right, had, you know, no bet in the straight draw, which if it hit was probably going to be good. Um, you know, unless the club came to make it tough. Um, and then he had a pair, and obviously his other card must not have worked because he got rid of it, right? Yeah, top pair. So if another ten came, um, or if he paired one of his straight cards, which made it more likely somebody else had a straight, now you go go for the boat instead. Um, so he had he had a lot of potential there. So it wasn't so easy as, as I initially thought. So that makes sense. Alright, so then on the turn... Yeah, at that point, yeah, he can't count on winning with the 10-5, 10 tray, some kind of two-pair combination. So you have to go for the straight, and then he missed. Yep. Because right. the other thing too is he has no idea what I have. So when he has Mar- um, Mark, who is the small blind, he likes PLO in our game. He was he was behind him, and he's the one who raised preflop. Right. And then I make it twenty eight after he bets so strong. I mean, he stuck around basically with a pair and a baby straight draw when there was yeah. a nut when there was a flush draw out there, and heavy heavy betting from someone who took charge of the hand preflop and re was re raised. So to call that with a ten. And an open and a straight draw, he's he's got to know that a pair of tens, even if it makes two pairs, probably not good. Right. Yeah, so he can't rely on a two outer at the end. And even if he does make three tens at the well, end, I don't think it's he not was a boat. relying on that. I think he was hoping for the straight, but the ten was a good backup. Right. Right. A third ten came or something like that. So. But his outs are reduced by going for that straight because it's a flush draw out there. So everyone's got caught clubs as the possibility that they're holding. And when it's this kind of a big pot. I don't even know if he thinks a straight would be good if it gets there because he's still got to dodge clubs and it reduces his outs. 
to just four outs instead of you know the open ended outs. So uh, to me, I just I think I get I get rid of that hand when I see eight dollars then raise to twenty eight. Well, I'm sure I would have gotten rid of it pre-flop too. I, I'm curious. But it, I hope his other card was an ace. If it was an ace and it suited right. one of his other cards, then, then then I could probably defend calling eight bucks pre-flop. Um, no, it was two bucks pre-flop. More. Yeah, it was only a dollar fifty more. Well, no, but I mean, then then uh, our small blind raised eight before, right? No, no, two. We were all in for fifty oh, cents. Raised to two. Okay, raised to okay. two. So it was only two bucks to see hands. So it didn't have to be an ace. It yeah, could have been eight anything. On the next one. Okay. Eight, eight to twenty eight <clears> on the next one. Yeah. Um, it could have been Jack 10, 3, 5. Still, I think know. it still had to be an ace for you to stick around with that. It could have been Jack 10, 3, 5. Yeah, and the Jack, jack was a suited with one of the three of the five. So. Um, still kind of dangerous, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a dangerous game. It really is a dangerous game. Because of the fact that you have these... You know, when we talk about how in Omaha all the cards should work together. But in this case, in this game, if they all work together, it's going to hurt your, own, your hold'em hands later. Or it's going to make your decisions more difficult later. You know, you almost want them to be ex- completely different from each other, but at the same time, that can hurt you too because if you're hitting the two on the right and the two on the left make flush draws with the two, you know, what I mean, now you've got to decide to get rid of a made hand to go for a, you know. Yeah. Well, but, the, the other consideration trying to figure out what people have in this game that's different than Omaha is in Omaha, you you've got those four cards the entire time. Yeah. So when somebody sneakily turns over some weird thing to hit on the river that didn't make sense it's because well they had their cards in this game. You're gonna to have to make a choice twice as to what you're going for. So even though you have all these options to begin with, they narrow each time. Right. So you know, for example, we're looking on the flop here. He it, it was easy to discard whatever card he had and keep what he had because now he had two options for improvement. But once the turn came, now he was forced into deciding what to do. You know, stick with the ten, which is bad, or stick with straight draw. But you also were forced into a choice as well, too. So if you were betting strong and then also had clubs as a backup on that turn, you were forced now into deciding whether you wanted to go with whatever your made hand was versus your clubs. Right. And the fact that he took so long to discard, I knew that when even if that king came, he would have had two pair and still wouldn't have thought his two pair were probably good by the heavy betting. He must have been thinking I had a set. So even if a king came and he had it in his hand somehow and he made kings and tens, he probably still breaks it up and throws away the ten. You know what I mean? Because he can't think that two pair is good the way the betting went. He's got to think someone has a flush. And if he thinks I'm going for the flush draw, his three five isn't going to be big enough either. So he's going to say, am I going to go with two pair now? How is this guy betting so strong with just just a draw? There's no way. So he's got to think a set here, like a set of four, a set of sixes, even a set of tens, just possible just because the case tens in his hand doesn't mean anything. So that's why I really wasn't worried by that king, but I was hoping that he wasn't going for the flush draw and had ace, king of clubs. That's what I was afraid of. At the end, he would have had kings and tens, and I would have lost. So that's why I didn't bet on the end. Now, I didn't think he had a ten in his hand. I thought well, he had... It's hard to imagine that I mean, that your sixes were going to win there, so I think your best hope was that he, he just had a busted draw. Yeah. And I imagine there's probably some people listening to say, hey, you had to bet that to win that. But I would argue, obviously, well, now we know, but I would argue that um, betting it when the person's probably going to call, if he has anything he's going to call, and you get your beat, you're yeah. better off to just hope that he missed and then and not take the, the risk yeah. of putting that money in. And <clears throat> you got lucky that he missed a draw like he did and you claimed a pot. So. Yeah, it was. Uh, you're, I, was only, I only had a bluff catcher there at the end. 
I mean, I was I can only beat a bluff or or misdraw, and there was no way I was going to bet. And I'm so glad that he thought he was all in, because by just you know tapping the table, he just showed his cards because he thought he was all in. Um, but uh, and it actually was for all his chips, but he needed to need to give me the twenty actually after that because he had to he didn't have enough chips to cover the initial twenty five dollar oh, yeah, bet. Yeah, so. Yeah. But I didn't say well, no, anything. I imagine there's a lot of strategy in this, and um, I think it would be fun to play and fun to kind of start try to figure out it because uh, I think that narrowing really changes things. I mean, you, you, it, it's lesser of an issue in pineapple. You know, you start with three, you know, and get rid of one or right. in hand. Right. But here, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of levels to think about in terms of not just what you're doing with your hand, but what your opponent is doing with their hand and how that changes. Yeah. With each discard. Wow. Yeah, a lot of cool. fun. All right, it was great providing a lot of content for the show today. It's my first time in 10 years. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.